Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's another episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, live from our coronavirus bunker. And I mean that literally for some of us, because we haven't done an episode in a while, because we had a positive test in my household. So I was working from home in my underwear you'd like to think, for two whole weeks. Bathrobe, bathrobe. Well, we also had a delayed posting of the last episode, too. Because of that. Partially, yes, but it is up and it is available, too. And more than likely, Dave, because of that delay, this is our last episode of 2020. Yeah, you're going to be headed home for the holidays, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to be here. And a lot of things kind of take a pause for holidays anyway, so that's okay. But we're talking very much current events. We're not going to be deep diving into things, so I don't think we have to give a spoiler warning necessarily. But uh, lots of things are changing in the world of movies, streaming, theatrical, all of it. And uh, not all of it. Rosy-cheeked and sunshine acceptance. No. I'm Joel Hoover, and he's Dave Brooks, and Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater in this time, going for concessions. They're open on weekends if you're comfortable with going out to the theater. They are open on weekends. Um, actually, they're only open on weekends, I think, for concessions just for at concessions. this point. That's that's just it. Yeah, they've got that posted out front. And that's you, the best way to support your theater anyway. Every ticket you buy to a movie, and not that they're showing any right now, like $1 of a ticket price, they get to keep. The rest goes out to Hollywood. But go to the concession stand. That's why a 50-cent can of Coke is three fifty because that's how you support your theater economically. So get some popcorn. Get some beverages. Where else in this town are you going to find an icy machine? You'll find it at the Bemidji Theater. That's how you support them. That's right. Things like that will go a long way towards supporting the theater. So, and they appreciate the business too. So, keep that in mind, especially if you have one of those buckets of popcorn that you want to get refilled over and over again, those souvenir buckets that they have. So, 2020 is winding down, and it has been obviously Weird. a really, really awful year for the movie industry with so many decisions, tough decisions that have had to be made, pushing no back allowance. on movies. Yeah, so much that that has been discussed about what a tough year it's been after some really good years for the movie industry prior to this pandemic, which has hit so much around the world and impacted so much around the world. So everyone is looking to 2021 and beyond with a great deal of anticipation. And it is interesting watching these different production companies and the announcements that they've been making in recent weeks, Dave, because I think they are really pivoting into looking ahead to the future. Let's look with expectancy and excitement to beyond the pandemic. Now that the vaccine is out and starting to be distributed, As people of today actually indeed, yeah, people are starting to look beyond the coronavirus to let's look at how the landscape is breaking down beyond all of this. And with that in mind has come a lot of announcements regarding future projects. Yeah, between uh, new uh, new productions and new filmings and also a lot of people just still waiting to see the summer of 2020 finally happen at whatever point it actually does come out in 2021. 
Um, there were so many movies that were coming out this year that you almost kind of forgot. You know, there was going to be a new Ghostbusters movie. It was supposed to be out in June. It didn't happen yet. It's been postponed. Uh, you've, oh, there's so many. But, of course, the Wonder Woman 1984 is the big one that everyone's talking about. Still going to be coming out in December. Um, should we take a minute and talk about what we're looking forward to seeing from 2020? pushing into 21 and everything that was supposed to come out in 21 either. Sure. What a cluster. I mean, every movie, every weekend pretty much is, I don't want to get hung up on the release details because that's all so fluid as 2020 has shown us. Well, one of the first ones that we had been looking forward to from this past year was No Time to Die from yeah. the new James Bond movie. That was one of the earliest movies to make the decision to move things back, and then they did so a couple of times over. Now they're they're releasing it a full year after it was expected to come out, and it'll be in April of 2021. That's the new target date that they've set for that as far as how much they have kicked that back. But that's just one among many. I wonder if I wonder if, if right now they're just starting the very first doses of the vaccine going out. I wonder as that progresses and people get it, I wonder if that might be the first beginning of something normal, sort of, from the box office. You get to April, you get to the James Bond, no time to die. Enough people have had it, not heard immunity yet. But enough people having it that enough people might feel comfortable to go, even with a mask or without a mask. You kind of wonder, and we're saying that in mid-late December now, so who knows. But uh, you kind of wonder. That's four, four and a half, five months away before it happens. You kind of wonder if that might be the first doorway to entry. I mean, a lot of movies said, we're not going to be released on streaming, at least not initially. So Top Gun Maverick, there wasn't a chance that that was going to go direct to streaming. It'll go to streaming after it hits the big screens, and then you know DVDs and video and so on and so forth. But there's another one that's going to be a big one in 2021 coming along that has been kicked back from 2020 because that one for people who who were fans of the original Top Gun they've been they've been waiting around for that one for a year now as well. I was such a movie fan of you know scary movies and Halloween movies and the Halloween franchise movies. They were they've been making two of them, and after the the reboot, the third movie to be called simply Halloween. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, and they were going to have the first one of those coming out this last Halloween. Didn't happen. They've pushed it to 2021. While they film the third and last one, it'll come out the year after that. What's something we're just really looking forward to seeing? And finally, there's looking to be hope that they're going to come out in the first place. Like a lot of movie fans, I want to see it. But at the same time, I don't want to see a Dances with Wolves epic scale on a little tiny iPhone window. I want to see it with peripheral vision, and I want to see it on the big screen, and I don't want to necessarily just go watch it for the first time at home. If I have to, fine, but that's not that that's the only option. You might be noticing an undercurrent of tone developing here in this early part of the episode. (laughs) We will get to it. We will get to it in time. A lot of announcements, though, on future projects are coming along, too, and I I don't think there's, there's any there's any accidental nature to that dave i I think these um these different production companies are trying to fuel excitement for what is to come in the future with with some of these different things for instance um we just saw a, a massive flux of future plans announced by disney and star wars oh gosh yes projects that they've got ahead for the near future a lot of mini series projects that they are planning to do where they're not necessarily going to go with a show but they are planning to do a lot of in-between kind of things where it'll be a limited series that'll allow things to flesh out more than a, a feature film would, but they're not going to go into a full 
show out of it and yeah. where you would have a lot that you would be trying to do. So they, they've got projects on projects that they announced with that. And from the director herself, Patty Jenkins, word about a new movie that's going to be coming regarding Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron, good if you're a video game fan, and I think they did uh, comic books too. Uh, you know, Luke Skywalker was part of Rogue Squadron, so that was fun. I'll let you borrow the N64 version of the game if you'd like. Beautiful. And it was uh, it was one of those where they I mean, you talk about where the argument for so long has been, well, maybe there was just too much Star Wars, and it, it kind of petered out. Wait, what? Because now they're going the complete opposite direction. They're going to flood the canals with Star Wars like crazy. Some things have been rumored and talked about only to be confirmed and then held off by the pandemic, like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's own show, uh, Ewan McGregor coming back as Obi-Wan in the time since Revenge of the Sith, where he's in exile, but before New Hope. And it turns out Hayden Christensen is going to be back after all the years of hating on Hayden for such a long time. But he's a guy who has Darth been... Vader. But a guy who has been very loyal to the yeah. franchise yeah. and who has said nothing but good things about being a part of the Star Wars franchise and who I think opinion is starting to shift on. I think a lot of Star Wars fans are shifting their opinion on him in some circles and what he did and also maybe some stuff that wasn't his fault with the writing and different things um, and a good performance in Revenge of the Sith that he showed too in, in a movie that... I think is has turned the tide in terms of opinion on it in different ways. That's neat to hear that he's going to be coming back as Darth Vader within that that series. Yeah, and I'll take the opportunity quick to give a little defense to Hayden Christensen. He and Jake Lloyd did exactly what they were supposed to do, right. what George Lucas told them to do, and more or less how to do it. I want you to be the anxious, nerdy, awkward teenager. But he wrote such stilted dialogue that even Harrison Ford had famously said, you can write it, but you can't say it. And let alone trying to ram a square peg into a round hole to force a romance between Padme and Anakin that wasn't natural at all and try to make it work. You know, I'm not going to try to draw comparisons between, I think, uh, I think Natalie Portman, Portman, I can't say her name, Natalie Portman did a very good job, Hayden Christensen a little more stilted, but he was supposed to be, he was an awkward teenager right? while she was the pursued diplomat. You know, they both did exactly what they were supposed to have done. Um, you could, you know, their retribution is, not retribution, but re- redemption is most definitely at hand here. And again, I think Revenge of the Sith was very very good and yeah, i think people are recognizing that now but that's cool that he's going to be staying back with the the series by getting to don the darth vader suit within for, that will james earl jones come back and do the voice i wonder yeah that, he's got that's a to, good question you know? yep that's a good question so questions like that being raised marvel has re- has released some trailers and some content along those lines as well as some plans of what they are going to be doing including uh, what they're planning to do with Black Panther 2, that they are not going to be recasting uh, Chad- Chadwick Boseman's, uh, the late Chadwick Boseman's uh, T'Challa. They're going to go a different direction in that regard. That was one of the biggest announcements. That's good. But they've also released some trailers for some of the different series spinoffs that they're planning to do and some other things that they have in mind. Yeah, Black Widow finally going to come out. You That's know, the right. Only, the only bad thing That was about, another one from 2020 getting kicked Yeah, back. another one getting finally, finally going to get his day. The one bad thing about Chadwick Boseman not being recast is the character. I mean, what's going to happen to the character? Oh, he's right. off on a mission. Or, well, he died in between movies. So his character is not going to get a proper send-off, but it's done for the right reasons. It'll be interesting to see what you know the Kelvin vs. Star Trek movies will do after Anton Yelchin died in real life. What about Chekhov? 
You know, is he going to live? Is he going to be off and reassigned? There's no good ending for the character because of what happened in real life. It'll be right. bittersweet, but I think they're doing it for the right reasons. And you can certainly overlook that. So it's going to be all kinds of new projects that are finally trying to excite people into coming back. Let's talk Spider-Man. They're talking about another Huge one. Huge news there. That's, that looks like it's going to have a lot of Tobey Maguire-isms to it. You've got Dr. Octopus coming back. You've got, and not just the character, but you've got Alfred Molina, who did it in Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire one, who's coming back again. And I've heard talks now that Harry Osborn, a.k.a. Willem Dafoe, is in talks to come back again as the Green Goblin. Now I kind of wonder if the next shoe to drop is going to be Tobey Maguire as an older Peter Parker. You almost wonder if he'll remember back to some former adventure or something with Tom Holland. This is going to be interesting, however they make it work. Wasn't Harry Osborn James Franco? Well, what was his dad? Norman Osborn. Norman, right. Norman. yes, okay, Norman right. Osborn. But th- I think what they've seen, they, they saw what happened with Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And that that coming together of, of worlds colliding in the context of that movie and said, can we do this in the context of the series as it has been developing um, in the live action sense? And they seem like they want to go for the gusto and bring everybody into the picture with this upcoming Spider-Man 3 and the plans they have. If they pull this off, Dave, Spider-Man fans across all the different iterations are going to lose their mind, and it's going to maybe, maybe resolve what has been such a such a strange thing, and that has been the constant rebooting of the Spider-Man entity, and maybe this will bring some resolution to that in a very wacky way with everybody coming together. And the interesting part is this has been talked about recently in the DC universe with Michael Keaton coming back as an older Bruce Wayne, possibly Batman, in an episode of The Flash. Your your face says you haven't heard about this. I think I did hear, now that I'm considering it a little bit more, I think I did hear about that. I haven't heard anything beyond they're talking about it and to what extent and how likely it is to happen. That's a good question, but I don't know. But it looks like this kind of multiverse thing maybe started to spill out with that and is now really spilling out with a potential Spider-Man 3. Or I don't even know if you can call it Spider-Man 3. I don't know how you would call this because it would almost be like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 4 or Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man 3 or the you know, MCU version. I, I don't know what you'd call this. Spider-Man into the live action Yeah, multiverse. Tom Holland's Spider-Man 3. Yeah, it, it is indeed the Spider-Verse coming to life. So, but, you know, that's going to be, it won't be 2021, obviously. They haven't even made it yet, uh, and hopefully they are. But a lot of movies that were supposed to be out in 2020 are coming out in 2021. And, of course, a lot of movies that were supposed to be in 2021 are, to some degree, made or not yet made, like uh, The Batman, for example, which is, they filmed half of it. Made I think it, really, it was 25%. Uh, they, they, something like that. They, they didn't, used that for that snippet trailer that they put great, out. Which was great, which makes you wonder what else is, is coming intriguing. they haven't even filmed yet. And a lot of things they haven't got a chance to make yet because of the pandemic and other things they found a way to roll forward. Evidently, New Zealand went, you know, with, with zero pretty much coronavirus cases for so long, that became Hollywood South or Hollywood Down Under in a way. And a lot of movies got made down there Whoa. Uh, that really kind of worked. They're still working on the, they're fin- they've pretty much finished the uh, Avatar sequels now, at least production, uh, post-production now. So that allegedly, I think, is supposed to be Christmas of 21, I think, maybe. I think right now all that's up in the air. So there's a lot of good that is on the coming. horizon and is coming. 
So let's but, talk the bridge. Well, let's yeah. That brings us to Wonder Woman 1984, for which there is a great deal of anticipation, a great deal of excitement for the movie itself. I mean, the movie itself. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this is going to go. The early review the reviews are excellent yeah. on the movie, and really good. And they, Dave, you are going to love this. Have you heard what some of the reviews are saying? The vibes of this movie remind them of. I've not. I try not to read reviews. Okay. Do you do you want me to tell you or not? Well, if you're talking something in the abstract, that's fine. But uh, other things like uh, I don't want to find out that Qui Gon has got a funeral oh, march at the end it, of episode it's nothing, one. Kind of tells you that he's not going to make it. You it's know, I don't nothing know like that. that. People who have watched it already are saying that this superhero movie and the vibe of it and the feel of it reminds them of Spider of uh, of a uh, Superman two. Ooh. Which I know is a favorite of yours. It's a favorite. It's yes. a good one. And people are saying it has that kind of feel to it, that Richard Donner kind of feel, classic superhero movie, and people loved it one who have the, seen it already. And here's one thing to take away from just what you just said, the Richard Donner vibe. Richard Donner, when he got a whole, and well, this is just a quick sidebar, then we'll move back to the reality. He treated the Superman concept with respect and that it needed the gravata that it was due. Other people that were involved in those movies, eh, it's campy superhero and it got slapsticky, particularly the theatrical version of Superman 2. And it made a very uneven mix because Donner, what he shot was serious. And then it got real stupid in the stuff that was shot after he died, or not died, but was fired from the movie. What am I? Richard Donner's still alive to this day. So what am I saying? Um, you could just tell the difference. When you look at the Donner version of Superman 2, you could see that serious comeback, and it works so much better. You could play Wonder Woman 1984 as absolute camp. I mean, the fact that they were talking about making this movie forever in a month and different versions floating around, some that really didn't treat it very seriously – but the version that came out a few years back really was serious. And it's not like it didn't have fun with itself, but it was serious about it. Very Donner-esque, I would say, even there. So I'm very happy with uh, Patty Jenkins' leadership. And I look forward to seeing what she'll deliver to Star Wars that Wonder Woman 1984 is getting that early buzz. See, I thought that you would appreciate yes. that and because it's not a spoiler, but at the and at the same time, it, it's a tie-in as far as comparison to something I know you really appreciate. But, I'll take that. But Wonder Woman 1984 is also significant because it is the start of what is it may be a paradigm shift in movie releases. It was announced just recently that in 2021, and starting with this release at Christmas here in 2020 of Wonder Woman 1984. Well, I think you almost need to back up before this. Is what, what, June 2020, is that when Wonder Woman was supposed to come out originally? So yes, around June. then. So they moved it to, I think it was September and then October and then it was Christmas time. They moved it like three or four times. So Christmas, and I mean like Christmas Day of 2020 is when it is scheduled to come out. Well, now numbers are doing what numbers are doing. Vaccines are going out, but it's still not there. They've decided this movie is coming out one way or the other. And now to lead back to where you were going, it's not just going to come out theatrically, but simultaneously. Yes, it was announced that beginning with that movie and going into this calendar year of 2021, every Warner Brothers movie property will be released, if, if it's going to be released in theaters and the plan is to go there, that they will also release simultaneously through the new streaming service HBO Max and that both will have the movie come out at the same time. It is a massive piece of news 
it has left the the movie industry is up in arms about it. Many different people up in arms over this decision from Warner Brothers to do this and from HBO Max because we we saw perhaps a, a start in this with the way Mulan was released and clearly after how the release of Mulan went with that that attached price to it that came with it there's there's there was backlash because of that and the price that was attached to it the extra price for subscribers to Disney Plus so now they've tried to make adjustments based off of that and off of can we also get them into theaters too. What has resulted is what many are saying has been a blindsiding kind of announcement with this, that the directors and people involved with these projects uh, from Warner Brothers were completely blindsided on this decision. That is what uh, that is according to the reports, that they were not informed in any way. And the only ones that really were, were the main people at the center of Wonder Woman 1984. According to some reports, they had to pay $10 million each to both Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot to get this settled, director and star of Wonder Woman 1984, to get that settled for having that kind of simultaneous release for that movie. But these other directors on these upcoming projects, they apparently had no clue about it. The response has been swift. There has been a great deal of disappointment in the movie industry. On the television side of things, there's been praise. NBC Universal's president praised the decision to go that route. Surprise, surprise. Because Whoa. they're thinking about it from the streaming standpoint, and they're thinking about getting subscribers. For NBC Universal, it's Peacock and what they have going there. HBO Max, they're they're thinking about the streaming side of what they've got in that property. Disney Plus, same thing. So it is. It, it could be a paradigm shift kind of announcement. Even if... The intentions might be good in that they're trying to deal with the pandemic and people maybe slowly but surely returning to theaters. But what will that mean for the future of the movie industry? Even if you are doing it for the reason of a pandemic, it comes in a time in movie history over the last several years where we have had the streaming conversation come up quite a bit. And now all of a sudden this pandemic has put this conversation on the table in a massive way with a decision like this. So let's take a look at why is this particular thing such a thing? I mean, Mulan was its own deal. Why wasn't there a backlash about Bill and Ted Face the Music, for example? Because that came out to theaters and streaming at the same time, too, but there wasn't the backlash. Why not? Because Bill and Ted wasn't driven by a major studio, for one. It was the return of Orion Pictures, actually. Which really? Was, which was kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, cool. They're a subsidiary, but still... But they weren't used to drive content to buy a streaming service subscription to HBO Max or whatever. For streaming, it was it was open to a several places. There wasn't an exclusivity. You could watch it on YouTube. YouTube has a subscription base on that as well. There were other streaming services. Plus, you can go to the theaters themselves. They just wanted you to see the movie, and it wasn't funneled through one particular thing. Now, for this you're going to have a simultaneous release. Well, for some people, I want the convenience. I don't want to have to go to this. That's why box office stars are box office stars. They are enough to motivate you to get off your couch, to go and get into the car and and buy this and sit down there versus sit down and hit a couple buttons on your remote and it's there. That's wonderful at some point, but not right away. You need to make money off of what you've just created. And right now, 
they want the lion's share to go to themselves. So if, let's say, Universal is going to release Fast and the Furious, well, we want that on Peacock because that's their own company. So we want to have this on Peacock. Oh, we'll put it in theaters too. But realistically, how many people now just want to watch a movie on their iPhone screen? They want to consume, consume, consume rather than savor and enjoy the nuance and go to the theatrical experience, which we've talked about before. They're trying to drive content to their streaming service. A streaming service, again, Maybe you're watching it on a nice big screen at home, maybe, but it's not a theatrical screen, or you're watching it on your airport layover, you know, sitting between five other people on your tiny little screen, and it's the first time that you or maybe anybody else has seen this movie, and you're going to see it on this teeny tiny little screen. It's just not the same, plus you're cutting out theater owners that have already had a heck of a time. Now you're cutting them out of the loop. And not only that, these theaters are being filled by these great creations that artisans have worked on, the directors, so on and so forth. Do you want to hear good quality sound? Who remembered Star Wars theme echoing through the theater in a way that just made your toenails tingle on your tiny little iPhone speakers? It just isn't the same. And I'm sorry, as a director, I can feel for them. And as an actor, I I didn't make a TV dinner movie. I made a theatrical movie that's now coming out in a TV dinner form. And if you think this is just limited to Christopher Nolan, no. which I'm sure some of our, our listeners are thinking, well, they're probably referencing Christopher Nolan on this in terms of where the backlash has come from. Yes, it has come from him, but no, it is not just limited to him. There are other auteurs like him. Judd Apatow has who, finally jumped into the forefront, yeah, too. Yeah, and he made some interesting comments um, because he looked at it from the financial side, too. And Judd Apatow said, what you are creating here is a precedent that is going to raise a ton of questions on distribution of the money. Where is the money going to go that you make from this if it is going through a streaming platform? Like, for instance, HBO Max. How do they divvy that up between those who run HBO Max and those within Warner Brothers and then those who made the film itself? Where is the money going to go? There is no actual precedent for how that's going to break down and what that's going to look like i mean i'd be curious what happened with mulan in that regard as far as how they broke the money down there specifically what you're talking about is you make a con let's take one of the more famous movie deals in movie history was jack nicholson's role in batman the 1989 movie where he was joker he got paid up front a very small amount of money but he knew that the movie was going to be a back-end huge deal, so he said, I want whatever percentage of the grosses. So whatever came into the box office, Batman theatrically pulled down, and I'm just making up a number. I don't know what it was. It's $500 billion, whatever it was. He got 10% of that or whatever the deal was. That was a lot of money. That, that was he, shrewd. He was, he was hugely rewarded financially for that. I think he got paid more for that movie than maybe any other movie, all of them combined. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw the writing on the wall. It. So now Batman, let's say, comes out this year, let's just say. He's got the same deal. I'm going to get 10% of the grosses. Now Batman doesn't really come out theatrically, or it does, but its box office success is hugely undercut by people not going to the theater to see it, but instead sitting on their couch, getting on HBO Max and watching it that way. How do you divvy up what kind of money Batman just made based on on subscribers? How many people are subscribing to HBO Max because they want to watch Game of Thrones over and over and could care less about Batman? How many less people are going to pay to see it at the theater because they're going to see it on HBO Max. How do you pay Jack Nicholson the money that you contracted for him to win? Now, granted, I'm glad to hear that Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins, two women that are really, really good at what they do, finally got a payday. That's marvelous. 
But what about everybody else that the same question applies? How are you going to pay them off a percentage of whatever gross? Because it's going to be, how are you going to do creative fuzzy mathematics, how much money these particular movies made when the majority of, I'm going to guess, people that are going to see it are not sitting in a theater, but are sitting on their living room couches. How do you, how do you make that money work? How do you make that mathematics work? Other than, here's the question that's being said without being said, this is for the studios and the studios alone to reap the financial rewards off of because they're going to get it through their streaming service and not the box office. That probably answers the question of how that all worked with Mulan. Because of that twenty nine ninety five price that people had to pay on top of already being a subscriber to be able to watch on that, are they going to do something similar? Have you heard anything about something similar being part of this deal with HBO Max and Warner Brothers where subscribers will have to pay a fee on top of what they're already paying or will there be none? Because if there's none, this gets really murky in terms of where the money actually does go, just like Judd Apatow was pointing out. I've heard both and I've heard them both almost phrased as a question. Um, I, from what I'm understanding, and I could be wrong about this, and maybe this is changing by the day, at least at the time we're recording this, Wonder Woman 1984 is being advertised as available on HBO Max without any special on top of your subscription service, $30 on top of your subscription to see Wonder Woman 1984. I think it's just going to be straight up. You have HBO Max, you have Wonder Woman 1984. But in return of that, they're starting to remove all the special deals. Hey, you can sign up for a year and only pay this. Those deals are going away. Free trial stuff too, I I think. I think if you'd already signed up for it, I think you're grandfathered in. But you can't now. It's If you didn't get the deal, it's gone. So all those deals are trying to try to hang on to as many dollars as they can because on top of the just the cost to make the movie – They've signed off with Gal Gadot, which is good, and Patty Jenkins, which is good, and they're getting an extra payday to get this to happen like this, which is good for them. But it kind of seems like it's only happened to them and not to anybody else. The argument could be made that because there's also the theater release, that it's concurrent, that they they still have that, to which I would respond, well, they're not getting – they still will not be getting the full – complement of attendees in person that they would otherwise if they didn't have this simultaneous release regardless of how people would feel about do i want to go watch a movie just off of a pandemic or not not quite off of a pandemic we're still knee deep in it we're still well we're still chin deep in it let's let's jump ahead even though a couple of months let's say that there that there's maybe more of an opportunity for people to feel comfortable going than perhaps right now like it's going to be a little bit more interesting with Wonder Woman 1984, but let's let's jump ahead a couple let's of look months. At Bond. If that were part of this, since it's a it's a different different theater, different, different property, studio. different gotcha. different studio. But let's let's jump ahead a few months to like a time frame around when the James Bond movie would be released with another movie. So you're getting a few people who would probably feel feel comfortable going to the theater to go watch, but let's say they also have HBO Max. And they could watch it right from home. There's a real, I mean, there's a real possibility that they would say, I'm just going to stay put right here and watch it right here. You're losing some of your potential theater gate audience, which drives that portion of revenue for for the, the studio, for the project itself. You're losing that automatically with that choice, even if the thought is a good one of, we've still got the pandemic going on. We still... 
I mean, the thought is good in that regard, but there is the real possibility that this sets a precedent of, well, let's just keep it this way and cut out the theaters altogether, cutting out those who drive to make these projects happen as well, who are, are producing these things, who want their cut and also want to share it on the grander stage. Th- this is their stage. This is their quote-unquote Broadway. This is this is part of the, the experience, and this is the tug-of-war that you create when you have this possibility now that comes into play of we might not go there, we'll just stay here and watch it. You know, we did a topic uh, a couple months ago where a law was changed and that used to be for a long time studios could not own movie theaters. And then they repealed the law, so now they can. But the theaters, had said, the uh, studios had said, well, I don't think we're going to buy it. It never occurred to, I don't think you or I, certainly not me, that they were just going to potentially bypass theaters for all intents and purposes. But that is, in a, even though they are, well, we're releasing it theatrically. Yeah, the same day you can get it for free, so to speak, so as long as you subscribe to HBO Max or whatever. You can watch it for free. You're paying for it anyway. You know, movies, let me put it to this way. There are movies that I don't want to pay to watch, but there was one that came on uh, like the FX network or something the other night that it was one of those movies. I don't want to pay to watch it, but I'm not. I have cable and it just happened to come on a cable channel. I'm not really paying to watch the movie. I'm paying for all these shows and all these channels and one of them happened to show a show that I was interested in but not enough to want to go pay and see it. If you have HBO Max and Wonder Woman 1984 is not something you really care about, but everybody's talking about, well, let's, let's see it. You're paying nothing extra for it because, well, maybe you are because I'm sure the amounts for the overall subscription might go up. There's still a lot of wiggle room to be worked out on that. You're not really paying for the movie. So people that have got contracts based on what it brings in, how do you figure that out just to kind of become repetitious of what we're talking about? This becomes a real problem, and this goes exactly to what John Apatow was saying. You have set a dangerous precedent where I'm sure there are some people connected to the studio they are going to make a killing worth of money, and they're the ones that are in charge of deciding the route that this Who movie is going charge. to go. Exactly. What do you think is happening? It's like tearing down the national parks because there might be something valuable underneath that you want to get to so you can line your pockets and to hell with everybody else. This is the problem that happens, too, with the streaming wars that we're getting of the different services that have been created. You are also, you are now also forcing your audiences to make decisions, too. What do I want to own? What do I not want to own as far as a streaming service? And what do they have? What do they not have? Netflix is all of a sudden losing properties because Netflix used to be this, this kind of gathering ground. It still is. It's this gathering ground for many different kinds of content, many different TV shows, many different movies, and it still is. But it is losing some of that library of products that were available on there because now things that used to be on Netflix are now going to separate entities. Well, more specifically, The Office is a big one that's going to leave Netflix at the end of the year. That was made by Universal. That's Peacock. So now they're leaving. That's you right. Know, they're going to leave Netflix. Prime and They're going to go to Peacock because Peacock yep. doesn't need to pay to show it. It's their show. That's right. So they can show their own stuff, and that's fair. But this becomes the other problem we've talked about also of exclusivity. It divides. Why don't you just have The Office on Peacock for free? You're still going to get money from Netflix because they have to pay for the rights to show it. So why don't you show it at your own cost 
just to bring people into your own personal thing. And you know what? We don't need to make it exclusive. Besides that, it's on TV. It's on various different channels anyway. How many episodes in a row did I just see in Comedy Central? So it's not like there's that much exclusivity. If Netflix wants to continue to show it, that's fine. We'll just pull in some money from them to rent it. Maybe they'll bring in less. But still, why this exclusivity and... Yeah. It's why I, I look at the original content that gets created on these different platforms, especially original content on some of the newer platforms. Like Netflix has been established enough and had so many subscribers because it was it was kind of the only thing of its kind for a time. That's and the it, thing. Everyone and it sees has, this pie. They want their slice of it. Exactly. Well, and, we could make our own pie. We'll get our own slice. So it's not that Netflix is doing less. It's that everybody else is offering their version of it. And so, well, I want to see this show because it's exclusively here. I got into Netflix in the first reason because that's the only place you could see Stranger Things for a long time, which is a great show. Yeah. And so I subscribed for that and saw a lot of other good things. But I'm only going to subscribe to so many things. I've got a kiddo, so we have Disney+. Plus. I almost subscribed to HBO Max, and I'm glad I kind of didn't because I'm kind of norked, along with a lot of other people, what they're trying to do. I don't want to support it. And look at something else like Apple TV, for example, too. That's one that has started to come into the game here over the last year or so, and they've they've gotten some big names to sign on for some of their projects that they've done that are show and movie-based. I wonder if they are getting the kind of return that they expected. Are they really getting the kind of subscribers that they thought they would now that the 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 entity is getting crowded? The the streaming the streaming game is getting very crowded now. So what is that doing for something like Apple TV that is trying to create new content through what they are doing? Like is it st- is it working? Are they getting the kind of payoff that they expected? Same goes for HBO Max. Will they get the kind of payoff that they are expecting by making a decision like this or is it just going to backfire in their face because the streaming wars are getting way too crowded, too many factions involved, too many choices for the consumer, too much money being spent by the consumer, and then ultimately they put their hands up and go, that's it, I can't do this anymore. There's a lot of, and we've talked about all these individual pieces during individual episodes that we've done in the past that all kind of come back up in a conversation like this. Is too many choices a good thing? Evidently for consumers, no. There was a report we mentioned on Netflix Men will spend an average of maybe seven minutes looking through the menu, and if they can't find something they want to watch in seven minutes, not that there aren't great choices, but you almost have, if I've got my iPod on shuffle, let's say, I'm listening I'm listening for a particular kind of song. That's not one that I know of partaking necessarily specifically, but when it comes up, I'll know it. You know, same thing with the movie menu. Oh, I, don't, I love that movie, but I don't want to watch it tonight. Oh, I love that one too. Women will go for four minutes before they're, I'm done, and they'll just turn it off and not watch anything. So there's that issue. There's also the whole come for this, but stay for that. You know, I got Netflix originally for Stranger Things, but there's a lot of other great things that are there that I enjoy even to this day. So I came for that, and I stayed for a lot of other things. So that's good, too. But then you start running into things like, say, Apple TV, where they had the Tom Hanks submarine movie, Greyhound, which I really wanted to see, but didn't come out theatrically, went through Apple TV. I, it wasn't enough to entice me to go get it because I didn't want to spend the nine bucks a month to watch a movie and necessarily you know, get the test month for free and then cancel out. Well, what happens six months later when something else I want to see comes out? I've used my test. It's done. Now it's buy or be done. So there was the one reason to go, and at that point, not enough for me to stay around and watch it. Here's the other thing. Disney bought 20th Century Fox. 
They have Disney Plus, but they also own Hulu, or at least the majority stake in Hulu. Hulu used to be kind of owned by a lot of different entities, but that's becoming much more marginalized to the point where you could make the argument it's mostly a Disney property. There's speculation at this point. I can't say that this is truth, but there's speculation. They might retool Hulu to essentially be uh, an adult's corner of Disney+. Plus. So it would be where a lot of the 20th Century Fox movies are. Like Alien, for example, Predator. Those are 20th Century Fox, now Disney movies. They're not going to put those on Disney+. Plus. What happens when your five-year-old who knows how to push the buttons on the remote accidentally downloads Alien? You know, and traumatizes them. And you're, well, he's safe. He's watching Disney Plus. Unbeknownst to you, Ripley just blew the alien out of the airlock, and your kid is trapped in the closet. It's, it's, they don't want that. So they're thinking about coming up with, at least this is what the talk is, coming up with the adults version of Disney Plus that's going to have Alien and Predator and 20th Century Fox and maybe even some more adult oriented Disney movies. Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, I would think, is a little mature for that. As a that separate medium? Enough, that's, as a completely separate medium or one that you pay for under the same subscription? There's a subsection already under Disney Plus called Star, which is uh, more featured content, I guess you could call it. Maybe it's an extension of that. This is all drawing board stuff, so I can't tell you this is going to be like that because okay. they're still just talking about it, very fluid. But that's the talk, that Hulu, why would you necessarily have it compete with Disney Plus? Would it be a, an offshoot of Disney Plus? Would it be a completely different streaming service where Disney is one thing, Hulu or whatever they would call it is another thing? Yes, maybe, question mark. People are still trying to figure that out. Uh, CBS All Access is being redone right now into Paramount Plus, and it's going to be a whole different kind of a thing. Um, it's it's going to be interesting how it all comes together, but the other point is you're starting to see things coming together. So if Hulu comes off the map and joins into Disney or takes on its own identity or whatever it is, then you start seeing things come together. Will Apple TV continue to be its own thing, or might it get absorbed with Peacock and become another? I mean, I'm, I'm speculating, but that tends to be what happens. You continue to see these mergers and things until you come up with maybe just a couple of big players, and then you're left with maybe two or three selections. Which is what we used to have with Netflix. That's what we used to have. Well, so. the other thing is... You used to, you know, people want to cut the cord with cable because I don't want to pay for all this a la carte stuff. Well, wait a minute. You cut the cable to that to go a la carte streaming. So basically, you're running into the same problem, but in a whole different way. So these are just the movie streamers to say nothing about if you want to watch your sports. Well, there's ESPN and there's another coming ESPN. Oh, don't forget NFL and Major League Baseball have their thing, but the, oh, hockey. I got to have hockey. All of a sudden, you're paying a la carte all over again what people wanted to get away from in cable. Which seems now like it was a dream because cable delivered all this stuff and a couple extras. Now you've got everything even more scattered than it was before so that if you did cut the cable, now you're ready to kick yourself in the butt. Well, why did I do that for? I was getting more for less. To quote Steve McQueen in The Magnificent Seven, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seems like a good idea at the time. You know, it seems like the grass is greener with let's just go a la carte with it and I get, I get to pick what I want to have. And then it's like, well, wait a second. Why are you making it so exclusive then with I only get this, but I don't actually get this? It becomes more selective and more shoehorned than you imagined. Yeah. And when you are talking about creative content, and new creative content, specifically movies, which we're ta- which we talk about with this podcast, and you limit the the wide range of access to it, you you are losing something that is at the core of 
what we are able to experience with going to the theater is that wide range of access to to this movie. I mean, there are some that get a limited release, sure. There there are some that that have that, but wide releases, you're you're getting you're getting a chance to experience those on the big screen. You're getting a chance to have that opportunity to to see those. So it's not been grass is, is greener on the other side with some of these other things. Why would it be with movies then? But that appears to be the way that we're going where all of a sudden it is a la carte with these movies and with what you might be able to access and what you might not. But ultimately, Dave, I, I keep thinking about this, and you were kind of talking about it with the way consumers have reacted. It is ultimately going to be up to the consumer. With how they handle something like this with the Warner Brothers and HBO Max news, it will ultimately come down to the consumer. What will, what, will they, what will they do? How will they react? What will the subscribers look like? These, these presidents of these, of these companies, they can try to spin it however they want. Uh, like the NBC Universal president was talking about the number of subscribers and, and that there's been a, a raise in that for Peacock with the office going there and some other premium content going there. Well, you say that, but is it actually true, or are you losing the chance at a more widespread audience by by making those decisions? It's interesting. I think you ever heard of the expression of the, the the euphemism of boiling the toad in water. You know, if you put a toad in boiling water, it'll hop out immediately because it's boiling water. But if you slowly raise the temperature, you get used to it over time, and you slowly boil to death. It kind of applies and doesn't apply at the same time here because consumers are, hey, this is great. So the water temperature is slowly boiling, but you don't realize your choices are going to become limited as you go. And then at the same time, you start to become aware of what the implications could be. Hey, they're raising the temperatures here. We could boil to death. It almost is happening simultaneously. It's interesting to say. But you look at other things where people that are in charge of how they're going to, and I don't mean the consumers, I mean people that are, let's call it figuring out and designing the infrastructure. They're doing it in a way to benefit themselves, not the people, not the consumers. For example, movies now are only pretty much being made as tentpole movies or lifetime channel Christmas movies. It almost seems to be that. And then TV, which has become really, really good, which is really awesome. But what about fun little kitschy movies that, you know, if you didn't catch it on the, you you were never going to enjoy it. There's a movie called Mr. Destiny that for no particular reason just jumped to my head. Came out in 1990. It's almost an updated version of It's a Wonderful Life with Jim Belushi and Michael Caine. You'd like it. It's a good movie. It's a what if. What if this was different in my life? Everything would be better. So then it's presented to you. Well, this, okay, here you go. This is what you wanted. This is what you get. You take the good with the bad. I guess maybe I'd like it better, my old life, you know. There's no way that they're going to make a movie like that today because it's not going to pull in $200 million at the box office, nor was it expected to. But they make, the way they've built these, the, the way to go now is that tentpole movies are what supports Hollywood. Well, now you have the streaming thing. Well, there's a possible silver lining here. It opens the door for movies like that to be made to go directly to video streaming on demand. Half the movies on Netflix I never heard of. Maybe one person I know of that is probably at the end of their career. There's Billy Bob Thornton, who you never see anymore, except in these direct-to-video releases. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but it's worth taking a chance because I'm already subscribed to this. They might as well watch it. You know, So maybe there's a silver lining for things like that, but it is so driven by 
the major tentpole releases. That's why there's 900 cooks in every kitchen to build these things. And most of the time they screw up because there's so much money riding on it. How Christopher Nolan is able to kick everybody out of the kitchen and make great content. I still haven't seen Tenet, but it's on my Christmas list. So that's another story. It, there's, there's a lot of ways to look at this. There is good. But there's a lot of potential to pervert this into something that is only going to benefit a very small minority and particularly their pocketbooks. So will the consumers ultimately drive this? In the end, yes. But when they cut off all the roads, that all the roads lead to this place, this purse, or that pocketbook, then they're going to drive which pocketbook is going to win. But ultimately, they've all been narrowed down to certain pocketbooks. They win, but do they really win? Which is where, again, the consumer is speaking very loudly, though, with they might be paying that out for it, but you might not be getting as many consumers as a result. And so once again, the consumer is speaking in that regard. Well, here's another regard to think about. The consumers, they couldn't let us know what they think about Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, they'll drive their content and all of a sudden the subscription rates for HBO Max hit the roof because people want to see it. I'd like to see it. But I'm not going to go see it in the movie theater right now. I'm just not. I'm just going to be honest with you, and I'm not. We're not done with this pandemic. I haven't gotten the vaccine. I've looked myself up on the internet as to what kind of frontline worker I would be. Uh, Fourth of July barbecue, by the way, at my house. You're invited. We're all going to come for barbecue ribs and get inoculated on Fourth of July because it'll be that far down the road. So that's not going to help me to go see it in the theater on Christmas, which is a week from this Thursday, Friday rather, uh, so that's not going to work for me. So all of a sudden you could spin it. Well, hey, people made the choice. If they wanted to see it in theaters and they thought that this thing on HBO Max was such a bad thing, how come nobody went to see it in the theaters? Because they didn't want to breathe it in. They didn't want to literally go and put themselves at risk to go see it when numbers are spiking or maybe just coming off of a spike rather than go home and just subscribe to this thing and I'll worry about th- seeing things in the box office later. If you drive the content to that point, just for a short-term solution in your mind, that right there sets yourself up for the long-term because they'll say this is the new norm. Right. They'll say it's the new norm when it was something that was done because of the the current state of the world and the pandemic that we're in. I've, I've mentioned that a couple of times here. They are saying it's because of the pandemic. They're saying it's because of the way that things are right now. But I could so easily see Warner Brothers, HBO Max, I could see these other streaming companies saying, let's just do it this way from here on out, regardless. I could so easily see them doing that and and saying that, which is why the backlash is so important, because if they can have their feet held to the fire over this, maybe, just maybe, they'll go, all right, this is just a temporary thing. We're not going to look at this and go, only because it's a temporary thing, Maybe we'll make this the norm from here on out. Hold them to it. Are you just going to keep this temporary? Hold them to it. And that's what the directors are trying to do. That's what those who are in the industry are trying to do and say, hey, listen, we are still trying to make this a quality product. We still want to get our cut for doing this. And we want a widespread audience to be able to see this rather than a limited audience. Turn back the clock six months. Let's go back to July of 2020. And this was, you could see this coming. You know, this seems to be the natural step today as what was coming six months ago where that theatrical window from the time that it's released theatrically to the point where it comes out on, say, other forms of video about four months, three months. Well, now with the pandemic, you could see all the push of trying to shrink that number down and down and down and down to the point now where there is no window at all. It comes out simultaneously, theatrical and streaming. 
So that's exactly leading into what you were talking about. This is, you know, well, they were talking then. This is just because we've got it. Well, now, now what about now? And now what happens when the vaccine comes out and now people would be totally willing to safely go to a theater or other large gatherings without having to worry about face masks and blah, blah, blah. Now there's not an option to do that because you've driven all the content driven by a pandemic to go to your and only your house, so to speak, to watch the movie. And that's it. It's all exclusive to you. Theatrical, they're also going to have it out for 31 days. But, you know, things happen. Christmas movies come out, and I don't get a chance to see it because of one reason or another right away. I don't think I got to see 1917 until like two weeks after it had been out. And that was the last movie I saw in the theaters because it came out shortly after Christmas time. We had things going on, and things were happening, and uh, I think we moved into the house. I can't remember. But there was stuff going on that two weeks later, finally, I got a chance to see it. Or if you're going with a movie buddy, I could go this day, but he couldn't. So, okay, how about next weekend? Well, when I got something going. So two weeks later, we could finally root our schedules together, and I wasn't going to see it without him nor he without me. So two weeks later, we went and finally saw the movie. If you only have a 31-day window that the movie will be out theatrically and streaming, Uh. and then it's out of theaters and it's only on streaming or vice versa, you still have your your options limited. So content is going to drive based on the consumers. Well, yeah, but when all the infrastructure is designed – you can follow the logic as to how you can't use that as your quote-unquote scientific data because you've skewed it from the start because the roads don't lead to where the consumers would naturally want to go. They lead to where you've told them to go. That's how supermarkets are laid out. That's the concern, I think, along with this too, is that it's a, it's moving the goalposts to get people to go the direction consumer-wise that you want them to as far as watching this. I think... You're missing a huge opportunity right now. Let's let's. There's a lot of things we can and have been digging up about this. Let's give an idea or two to streamers who may not care, but let's at least give them an idea of all the opportunities that are out there that they could do with their streaming services. That we're talking about. Let's talk about a six month window, a brand new stuff that's coming out, and that's what's going to drive all the content to your streaming service. Wait a minute. Movies started in the 1920s. Clearly, since 1920 to 2020, there's 100 years, literal, of cinema and movies and shows and all kinds of great things that a lot of people just straight up have not seen. So I love watching some of those YouTube videos where people are watching movies that are quote-unquote old that I remember from my youth as being in my prime. Like, that's not old. That movie's 20 years old. I mean, it's not brand new, but it's 20 years old. And these people are looking at it as if they just uncovered treasure in the Amazon rainforest. Why can't streaming services tap into that within the streaming service? Let's do a public service here, Hoove. Let's come up with some ideas. Let's just pick on a Netflix. We'll call it Hooflix. We'll make one up. There is, there is no Hooflix, but Hooflix, I've subscribed to Hooflix. It's got some new content, but it's also got, within Hooflix, different channels, so to speak, where, like, the whole thing with Netflix, if you can't find the show you want to watch within 15 clicks, you're not going to watch it anyway. Okay, so Hooflix has got a couple of options. One of them is Hoove TV, and Hoove has gone and programmed for you the whole night's worth of entertainment, and maybe there's a couple of different Hoove channels. There's comedy, there's action, there's whatever. And so I feel like an action movie, but I don't know what it is going to be. So I flip over to Hoove TV. Now, rather than you catch something in progress like TV, you still want to catch the beginning of something. All right. So maybe it's like it's a built-in DVR or 
This is what's on the menu tonight. We've got five movies that you can watch, and here's another good double feature. If you have to at an early bedtime, you can watch this now and be in bed by 11 to watch both of these movies. That sounds like a good couple of options. It'll narrow it down to you. It's not that you can't watch anything other than this, but it's a suggestion. The waiters come to the table. Have you thought about this? And so now your show is provided for you. And not only that, here's a movie that I've seen a hundred different times. Have you seen it in the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version where the superimposed little heads are going to be in the theater in front of you doing the commentary track to the movie that you don't need to hear the dialogue because you've heard the movie 95 times. You know what they're saying. But the jokes or the behind-the-scenes stuff on the movie – That's a different way to present it. Here's a movie that's 30 years old that millennials that are right now in junior high have never seen before, most likely, unless their dad showed it to them. Let's present it to them in a way with a a modern trailer made for it that's really good. This looks pretty cool. This is a movie that you want to see. Trust me. Here's a a way to introduce younger kids today to old black and white movies that they may not be interested in just because it's black and white. You kind of get the rabbit hole that I'm going down. You have 100 years of entertainment, and all of it, to its own extent, is really, really good. It wouldn't have been popular at any damn, at any time it wasn't, if it wasn't good. Good is good is good. Present it in a good way. Put your money not toward you know billions of dollars just to get this one movie or 10 movies in a row to come to your streamer so that everything is based on the next six months, but use that to fluff up a lot of basic filler that you could probably get the rights to for next to nothing because it's so old, like the old Batman TV series with Adam West. How much are they charging that to get on anywhere? Is it streaming anywhere right now at all? Is it available anywhere? Not that I know if of. If you love The yeah. Dark Knight, you got to see this you know, and present it in such a way that people are interested to see it, not just to see it raw naked-like, but I mean, here's a, in a completely different context, like pop-up video and trivia bits, and here's a quick interview with Julie Newmar, or whatever the case, to make it interesting more than just presenting it as is, no frills, no extras, no nothing. You know, the one thing that's missing with DVDs and now streaming is you don't get all the extras. So if you just want to consume and you just want to watch and it doesn't matter, you're just trying to fill time, you have that option. If you want the deeper cut and you want the the behind the scenes extras and blah blah, blah 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 blah, then that's also available right there that you used to be able to get on DVDs that you don't get so much anymore. It's all there, including the new stuff. You come for the new stuff, but look at what you're staying for. This is an opportunity that is not just completely being disregarded. If it's not new, it ain't worth it. According to what they're basically doing, Hoove TV can be better. Hooflix can be better. Well, the bottom line of your idea is is trying to get back to some of what streaming used to be, which was a a place where you have a collection of those items and a widespread collection of those items. It has started to become more and more grouped and grouped by studios, clearly, and grouped by who has rights and who well, owned by and who owns those things. That's where. And that's where these these companies have now said we want to get our own slice for the second life of this piece of entertainment, the the streaming life of this entertainment. We want to get our own slice for that. And what you ultimately get then is a a division that gets created as far as who gets to see that, who feels financially that they can that they can afford getting to have this streamer and that streamer and that one. And again, it pertains to movies because it takes away I mean the the whole idea that you're putting out that you're putting forth there, Dave, it's it is a It's enticing, you could say it. It's really it is <laughs> it is a really interesting concept for getting especially older entities and projects out there because those 
those aren't quite as readily available to stream. But it it gets them on on the screen in a way that allows people to get to check them out and get to check them out in a widespread way. Although within a, a streaming platform, which again, you would have to choose among all the other streaming platforms to take. But it's what we are losing with 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 losing widespread movie releases if the industry decides it wants to go that route, is that you are losing that wide audience. You are losing that wide accessibility to it. You're losing... I mean, yeah, you can look at the, the folks in Hollywood and go... I'm not going to cry a river for them uh, about the fact that they're not getting the money that they feel that they've earned for the projects that they're making. Well, you're losing the project then. You're losing the interest in making the project that you as a consumer would want to go see on the screen with that movie, and you are then losing the possibility of projects like that in the future, being able to be widely released and widely consumed. Here's a minor conspiracy theory that I happen to, to believe in. It's called fuzzy Hollywood math, where you've got people that were involved in the making of a movie. Let's say you wrote a short story about something, Hollywood buys it for you, and they give you a percentage of whatever based on what it brings into the box office. They're going to tell you the movie lost money. But it really brought, wait, this movie I just read made $900 million. How are you telling me it lost money? Well, because of this and that and this other. Basically, they're finding creative ways not to pay those that are worth, that are required to be paid. But if we can come up with a creative way to do the accounting, then you don't get the cut of the money that you really should be owed, but it comes to us. That happens against writers and actors and all kinds of things. They just come up with real fuzzy ways to, to make that happen. So basically, there's a smaller group than you would think that controls the financial end of Hollywood. They get their pockets lined, and other people that work their butts off, they don't get it. You know, For example, you get the musicians, I'll give you a quick parallel, they don't get paid basically on how many albums they sell, the, the record company does. And all they really do is loan them recording space and all this. They didn't do the work, they just, they're just reaping the rewards. If you as a real artist want the reward, you got to go out on tour. That's where you make your money. Even after Ticketmaster and so forth gets all the major cut, that's where the artists see the largest cut. So it's like that when it comes to Hollywood, except it's not such much a larger cut unless you happen to be on the cream of the crop. So here's another revenue stream that those that are already getting all the money anyway that might be feeling a little pinch. They want to get it back and then some. Here's another way to capitalize it and corner it so that we – Namely, me gets the money and not anybody else. So the Patty Jenkins of the world, as well she should, gets a deserving cut. Well, what about everybody else? You know, I'm not saying that Patty Jenkins is responsible at all. She got the cut that she probably should have got along with everybody else. But because that's going to be the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, the the front of the snowplow, that's going to be where it's going to go to. And then the Christopher Nolans of the world did he get anything like this for anything else he's going to offer? No. How about how about anybody else that's got something? Come? No, probably not. Who's directing the new Bond movie? Is he was he going to get something if it went to Netflix? Probably not. You know, you could see where this is going to be a problem. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. A lot to break down today uh, regarding the HBO Max Warner Brothers decision, the precedent that it sets. A lot of there's a lot of theorizing going on here. There's a lot of speculation of what it means for the industry, but I think there's there's a lot of reasonable speculation here though that we've gone into over the past hour and and discussed. And there's probably more that comes from this. But again, it it comes back to that central question. Will this remain in place 
beyond the pandemic and its impact on the movie industry? Or is this the beginning of a paradigm shift in the way that movies will be consumed? Uh, well, that's the big question. The big question is to break it down. Can theatrical release and TV broadcasting and streaming and home media, can it all coexist? Of course it can. Where's the dollars going to go? That's what's going to drive this and how it's going to work. Right. Can you have streaming and theatrical? Let's just leave everything else aside. Can that coexist? Absolutely so. And what gets lost? What gets lost in this too? Absolutely. I mean, to tell me that once people have gone to see it in the theater, they don't want to see it anymore. Wait a minute. How do you support the fact that there's been a home media home I'm video market? I'm buying Tenet today. Of course. It's Be- out on, on 4K and eight and uh, Blu-ray today. So yeah, I'm going to go buy it. Speaking for myself, and I know- Because this I like be, the movie. I know this to be the truth with a lot of my friends that are into movies too. When the, when the movie is new and you can't wait to see it, you want to see it in the best possible way, you can't wait for opening night at the theater, you're there and oh yes, maybe you see it a second time. Maybe even a third time. There's some people that'll see it multiple times, once a weekend, until it's out of the theaters, however many months that is. They'll go as often as they can. And then when it comes out on video, they're seeing it again. But most people saw it that one weekend. And roughly four to maybe, in some cases, five months later, the movie will come out on home video, DVD or Blu-ray or whatever the case. I want to see it. I only saw it that one time at Christmas time, but now it's almost summer. I want it at home. Now you're buying it again. It's, it's about a $20 purchase. Pretty much the same as a movie ticket, so you're getting it again. So what's the problem here? It's not like there's not a secondary market, but it's almost as if, no, 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 it's the first gulp and that's it. There's like, there's nothing after the first kiss? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Because I got proof that you're totally wrong about that. It's not that you have the content, it's how you present the content. And if only thing that exists is what's brand new, let's say when April does come around and the theater's open, does anybody care about Wonder Woman 1984 anymore? How much did you pay for it? Was it worth it to get it onto HBO Max when nobody watches it anymore because it's already been seen? Is that what you're trying to tell us? There's no value after the original release? Well, why don't you keep it and available? It should always be available if it's a Warner Brothers movie. Every Warner Brothers movie should be available on a Warner Brothers streaming platform because it's a Warner Brothers product on a Warner Brothers theater. So maybe it's not in the spotlight anymore. Maybe at some point it phases to some degree of background, but maybe it brings forth another great old Warner Brothers movie like uh, The Silver Streaker, example, a good Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor comedy on a runaway train. That'd be a great one. Put a spotlight on it because I know people that have never seen it and after a while bring Wonder Woman 1984 back and a double feature with the first one or a couple of mix and matches. Hey, tonight, this weekend, you can watch the entire DC movie universe or whatever starting with Justice League and make it an event that's really kind of like watching Ferris Bueller and all the John Hughes movies on TNT over a weekend. Those movies are 40 years old, but you make it right and you present it right. Now, all of a sudden, people are canceling plans or making plans at their house. Everybody, come on over. We're getting pizza. We're going to watch the John Hughes four-movie marathon, and all of a sudden, it's brand new. This is something where – how do you describe this? You know, it's Can they coexist? You better believe it, but they're not engineering it to do so. Here's how I describe it. You and I take a very idealistic approach to the movie industry. We're we, smart like we that, have, aren't we? We have had that. I think we've established that from the start with this podcast, that you and I are very idealistic when it comes to the movie industry. We we are somewhat 
But not know, naive. No, we're not. not, not totally. We're not naive. That's. I want to make that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I want to make that clear as well. Is that we're not naive to the the trends of the industry and the way that this works. But there's there's a reason why things are the way that they are, and in some ways, it it's it's kind of good that it's that way, rather than being stuck into let's just go with the times, let's go with the trends. The trends aren't always sometimes the best thing, but right now. Right now, as this this piece of news is proof, we are at the whims of the the trends as they are playing out. It will be up to the consumers. It will be up to the studios. It will be up to how this this all gets fielded and how this goes. It will be up to what does the movie landscape look like after the pandemic. This is just the beginning. Well, it's all a shiny this- new toy. I mean, it's not that streaming is brand spanking new, but in the scheme of things, it is. But in the in the more much more short term time, 2020 alone has been the one year. I think it was just this year that isn't Disney Plus, and that just came out. We'll call it was late like November of last year, but just before 2020 kicked off. But in just 2020 alone, you got streamer after streamer after streamer or redoing things like CBS becoming uh, uh, Universal Plus. Paramount is about to come out with their version here. You got all these brand new streamers that are finally realizing they can have their own pie and their own slice of it, driven by their own content. 2020 seems to be the year that this is the shiny new toy. Every shiny new toy at some point loses its luster, both for the people that are putting it together and both for the people that are attracted to the shiny new thing. After a while, it's not such a shiny new thing anymore. And you realize you just bought five shiny new things. You can't afford five shiny new things, so you need to figure out what it is, whether that means shiny new things converge into one shiny new thing or people are going to start dropping things. I only subscribe to two streamers, and that's going to be what it is. I might do a third, but... With everything going on with HBO Max, I was like, I don't think I want to right now, so I'm holding off. Good example. But yep. at some point, I might think about cutting cable at some point. I'm not right now because I do like my sports, and I don't want to do a la carte streaming sports too just because I want to watch Vikings, Twins, and Wild Games. It's not enough. Yep. I don't know. I think we leave it there for today, and I think we'll continue to watch it as it plays out because, this is, like I said, this is just the start, Dave, and we're, we're going to be... We're going to be seeing how it all plays out over the next year, but you know, it, one of the it sure sets a precedent. One of the interesting things, you go back and look at our archives, some of the episodes that were quote-unquote current and topical, because things are changing so fast, it's like buying a computer. Two minutes after you walk out of the store, it's almost obsolete because so much technology has changed. This is evolving rapidly, so really all we're doing is a snapshot of the now, you know, Two months from now, you're going to listen to how antiquated this cutting-edge material we're talking about is. How is this working out? Have theaters and filmmakers gotten together enough to push back on this to warrant a change? Well, all right, fine. When this is over, we're not going to release simultaneously. And then that brings up the other coin that had just occurred to me. What happens when you subscribe to HBO Max believing that everything's going to be out simultaneously and all of a sudden it's not? Could you do a bait and switch? Could there be lawsuits about this kind of thing? You said that every movie was going to be simultaneously and now it isn't. Will there be a moratorium on this? I mean, it, this is so fast evolving. We're barely touching the crest of the wave and the moment we got our fingertips on it, it's gone. And the next thing is coming. This is going to be fast. This is going to be interesting. And just from a history lesson, listening back over these quote-unquote current episodes to see how things evolved and how fast they evolved, it's, it's interesting. We're almost recording history right now, Hoof. We're serious people. Hang 10, dudes. That's all I can say. <laughs> Hang 10, dudes.
The and wave when the theaters are open, is on the way. When Bemidji Theater is back open and the theaters are going and vaccines are out and you can actually walk out to get your mail without getting hit by a coronavirus or something, I'm exaggerating, of course, I'm going to be there. I know you're going to be there waiting to see. I wouldn't mind seeing old movies that I've seen a hundred times but never saw on the big screen, which I missed out on this summer. I want to see Jaws on the big screen so it could screw me up again. Uh, I also want to see the brand new movies. I am a loyal fan of the theaters, and I will be going. And when it's time, I will be there. But I'm not going this week. And I'm not going for Wonder Woman 1984. And I'm certainly not going to get it on streaming either. I'm hoping that it'll still be out and hopefully still on theaters in some way, shape, or form. We're going to hold out to the theatrical release because that seems to be stretched out. Maybe by spring it'll still be playing. I could be optimistic, and things might be safer. And I'll be there to see the last week run of Wonder Woman 1984 before it's exclusively only on HBO Max with no DVD release either. Yep. I hope. I hope, Dave. I still want to see The Greyhound, and I don't want to just have to see it on yeah. Apple TV. I want to buy a disc yep. so I can watch it whenever I want to watch it. Exactly. Even 20 years from now. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Go buy a DVD player. Indeed. And we will, one way or another, eventually see you at the movies. <laughs>